Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. So today I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker, who is a true community leader, a man who's not afraid to use the resources of his department to step up when needed, whether it's after the events of 1 October, whether it's getting his uh, firefighters out in the streets with boots collecting money for charitable events or opening up his firehouses as a safe place for uh, runaway, abandoned, and abused teenagers. Um, he's always willing to uh, step up and make our community even better. So uh, please give a warm welcome to the chief of the Las Vegas Fire and Rescue Department, uh, Chief Willie McDonald. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, it's uh, really a privilege to be able to address the Rotarians. Um, I, sorry, former Rotarian myself from 1989 to 2013. I really love my time as a Rotarian, so it's a real honor for me to be able to be here with you today. I have a few slides that I'd like to share with you, but I would invite that if you have uh, questions or something that you want to ask me about uh, along the way, I'd invite you to do that. I, I appreciate it, actually, so that I can... Uh, make sure that I uh, follow or answer all of the questions that you may have about Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. Uh, and I guess what well, the first question is, how do I make it go? <laughs> okay. Down, down arrow. Okay. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, and I'll, what I plan to cover is all of the services we provide, the things that we're working on right now, the new services that we plan to get into or that we're embarking on right now, and as well, uh, some of the big challenges that we have. Um, I entered the fire service in 1978. Somebody at the table asked me, how'd you get in the fire service? Well, it was because some firefighters hosted a Pop Warner football team when I was a young man, and uh, they were the coaches, they were the sponsors. Uh, they had a very positive influence on me way back then, and they encouraged me to become a firefighter. So in my hometown of Fresno, California, I became a firefighter in 1978. Fresno, what, Fresno, <laughs> no, I went to McLean, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I graduated in 19, uh, excuse me, I became a firefighter in 1978, I uh, was very fortunate to rise through the ranks there, they trained me as a paramedic, they trained me as a fire captain, I ultimately ended up as a, a deputy chief in Fresno, keeps going backwards, did I do that? Okay. It actually isn't showing what. Uh, and, and I'm a tech jo technology genius. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. Okay. 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 Maybe go back one. There we go. Okay. Entered the fire service in 1978. Uh, 
was uh, appointed as a fire chief in a small Bay Area community, Foster City, in two, 1993. Then in the neighboring community of San Mateo in 1996. Invited to be the fire chief in uh, Fremont, California in 2002. Then I had a really great opportunity in 2004. I was invited to the city of Scottsdale, who everybody's heard of Scottsdale. Uh, and when they called me and said, what do you know about Scottsdale? I said, I'm a San Francisco Giant fan. That's where they do spring training. And that literally was all I knew about Scottsdale. <laughs> but they didn't have a fire department as recently as 2005. Uh, and so we organized a fire department. Um, all the employees, all of the equipment, all of the uh, stations, all of those kind of things. Got that done in one year, and we launched the Scottsdale Fire Department on July 1st, 2005, at midnight. That, so that was one of the greatest opportunities I think I've ever had. Left Scottsdale in, in 2010, became the fire chief in the city of San Jose, uh, California, and then I was uh, honored to be able to come here. I was invited here in 2013. My educational background, I'm a Fresno State Bulldog. I graduated from Fresno State. Um, I have a master's degree in business administration, and I was also invited to uh, attend Harvard University on a fellowship for state and local government officials as well as Arizona State University. I have a certified public management uh, degree from there. Uh, about Las Vegas Fire and Rescue, and if I didn't say it before, let me just say this. I am the extraordinarily proud fire chief of the city of Las Vegas. Um, our men and women of our organization are completely dedicated to serving the community, and they are committed to providing the highest levels of service that we can. And in addition to that, our relationship with our neighboring uh, public safety partners, Las Vegas Metro, Las, uh, North Las Vegas Fire, Clark County Fire, Henderson Fire, and all the law enforcement agencies at the state level as well as the federal level have a great relation, working relationship here. And that really paid dividends when uh, October 1 happened. There was a, such a relationship there that we were able to really respond to that emergency in a way that I think was uh, it made me very proud to be a member of the organization and a member of the first responders that uh, are in this community. Um, our de <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have 20 fire stations across the, across the city, and I'll show you the map of where those are. And the reason that fire stations are located throughout the community is because one of the most important services that we provide is speed. Um, trying to get to you as quickly as we possibly can so that we can have a much better outcome to whatever the emergency is, is done by placing fire stations close to where we're going to respond. So our fire stations are located all throughout the community where we think we're going to be responding. We have at least two advanced life support units in every one of our fire stations, so paramedics on all of those, and they can respond independently. We have... Uh, a special operations unit, I'll show you a couple of pictures of some of the things those guys get involved in, and they're also a part of uh, a FEMA task force. They were uh, deployed this year to the hurricanes in Houston as well as in Florida. Um, we have a hazardous materials response team. We have CBURN. CBURN stands for chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive. We have units that respond to those kinds of incidents and are supported by the rest of the department. A full Fire and Life Safety Bureau that makes sure that we build and maintain our buildings as safe as we possibly can. And we have a combined communication center, which is really important because we have the access and the knowledge of where all of the resources are for the North Las Vegas, Las Vegas, and the Clark County Fire Departments. So those units can be sent 
no, no matter what the jurisdiction is, they can be sent to the they can, the closest unit can be sent to an in emergency, and they can get there as quickly as possible. So this is a map of the city, and this shows where all of our resources are. And you can see that we tried to place them so that we have just a very short distance to respond to the different parts of the community. And again, that's all about time. Getting to an emergency fast isn't driving fast. It's making sure those resources are where they are needed to be. And so that's why we have the stations all over the city like this. You don't need to be a fire guy to see that this is a great location for a fire station. It's probably the best location in the city for a fire station, but there isn't one there. There used to be one there, and we decided we would close it down several years ago. And so through the guidance and leadership of our council, they've asked us to reopen that fire station. So we will reopen that fire station to that area of town uh, right after the beginning of the calendar year. This is a background about the different pieces of equipment that we have. I know this sounds kind of basic, but let me just kind of make some clarifications. Fire engine, that's what this is. If we only had one thing, it would be one of these, and it would have firefighters going to emergencies. This has water on it, a water tank. It has a pump to pump up the hydro pressure, and it has hose. That's what makes it a, a fire engine. That's opposed to this thing that's a fire truck. <laughs> fire trucks have equipment on them. They're like giant rolling toolboxes, and they have ladders. And so they are for forcible entry. They're for getting to high locations. They're for shoring up uh, uh, areas that are uh, in have a potential of caving in. Uh, so these guys actually are the support personnel that provide access for the guys on fire engines. I mentioned that we have a heavy or a technical rescue team. These guys are... Uh, amazingly talented in terms of their uh, abilities and their capabilities to provide services. And they do it from some very uh, amazing places. So we are the uh, rescue team that provides services for the high roller. At the top of the high roller, it's uh, 560 feet. If there were to lose power in the high roller, the only way to get them out after all of the backups fail is for us to go up and get them. So we have one of the few uh, uh, Ferris wheels that are this large in the world. In fact, this is the, the tallest one there is. There's one that's being constructed in England somewhere. I think it's actually it's in Paris, excuse me, that's going to be a little taller than ours. And I guess that's kind of what it is, is that you want to build one that's taller than everybody else's. But anyway, ours is 560. Others that are having them built are New York City, and there's one already uh, built in uh, Orlando, Florida. So we were uh, asked if we could provide some training for some of the folks who might provide rescues in those other areas. Our technical rescue team has great qualifications, and they also are recognized throughout the country. And as a result of that, the designer of the high roller um, involved our team in designing built-in uh, mechanisms that help us provide rescue for people who would be trapped. So this is a group of folks who came from other fire departments to learn about how we do our rescues here. You can see how big the paws are if you haven't ridden on one of those. So we loaded them up. Our guys get there by climbing up the legs, they climb up the spindles to get to the middle there, the middle of the, the Ferris wheel, which is about 300 feet off the ground. And then they climb out onto this platform and there's a crane up there that you probably can't see, but the crane then helps lift up the rest of their res rescue equipment that they're going to use, 
because they can only carry so much on their back because they're inside these tubes climbing up to that spindle. So now you think about it, what they do at that point is once they get up there and they're ready to uh, re get out to the pods, they have to slide down to the outside of the wheel because you can't slide up, right? So you, <laughs> so, so you have to slide down the, uh, out to the outer edge. And that's what they're doing there. And then they get out to the outside. That's one of our guys who uh, is up on the top of the, the uppermost pod. Once they get out to the outside of the wheel, then at some point they have to unhook from their system and they have to get to the outside because there's a ladder around the outside of the Ferris wheel. And I say they slide down so they have to lean back like this to climb to get to that middle pod. They go one at a time from that point. Um, there's maybe 40 people in a pod. They have to take them down one at a time. <laughs> they say, these guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it looks like from the top. Yes, 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 sir. Oh, I'm sorry. So the question was, is this a drill or a rescue? We train here frequently. And so before they open, about 10 o'clock in the morning, our guys assemble there about 7. And they go through this training to just maintain their skill level and make sure that they've got it all down, what they're supposed to be doing. I, I can't imagine that. We have not had a rescue there yet. Thank you. <laughs> well, just a small uh, premium pay. For those guys that maintain their skills. Okay, so on to the other kinds of pieces of equipment that we have. This is a rescue. We have, this is what we have the most of. We have most of our calls, many of our calls are medical calls. And so we have 24 of these, and there's throughout the community. And in some places, we have more than one. Most places, most fire stations, we just have one of these. But in a couple of places where it's really busy, like the downtown fire station on Casino Center, we have three of them. We have a couple in other places. And these are what we primarily use to transport our patients to the hospital. We have uh, 750 employees. Our budget's about $130 million. Uh, we have a variety of personnel that we have that supports our mission of providing services to our community. That includes emergency response personnel, but we also have fire prevention personnel. We also have mechanics. We also have communication specialists. We also have inspectors. We also have folks that do training, and we also have people who maintain our radios. And one of the biggest things that we're having to do right now is we're having to recruit people. And we've had uh, just a number of retirements over the last couple of years because for many of you who have been here for a long time, you know that we had some major growth maybe about 20 or so years ago to the community. And so in order to be able to keep up with that, we started hiring big groups of employees all at the same time. 50 employees at a time where we would be hiring and training to be firefighters. And what ends up happening is they all go through their career, they get older, and they all retire at the same time. So we are recruiting continuously. We do two recruit academies every year. We just graduated one in November, and we have another one starting in January. So anybody who's interested in being a fireman? <laughs> if you know someone, though. <laughs> If you know someone, we're really looking for uh, some really folks who 
have a real interest in providing uh, service to the community. That's the kind of people that we're looking for. Um, yes. Yes, we do. We have uh, about 40 on the Department of Sep not counting our communication specialists. Fire, women firefighters. We have uh, our highest ranking uh, woman is an assistant chief. Uh, we have two battalion chiefs, and we have a couple of captains that are also on the department, plus paramedics and firefighters. Uh, we also have a Citizens Academy, of which uh, President Michael graduated from this last year. <laughs> and that's a wonderful group of folks. They uh, spend about nine weeks with us, I think it is. Every Thursday night, they come over on their own time, and we try to introduce them to as much of the department as we possibly can, and then we try to keep a relationship with them afterwards so that we can, you know, have opportunities for them to be involved in some of the activities that we do or outreach that we do with our community. And so it's a great program. We do one a year. We've done about 20 of them by now. And if, on our website, you can get information about that if you might have an interest in uh, participating. Usually about May, right? When it's about May. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about our partnership with our, our other agencies in the, in the Valley. Um, besides the fire departments, and as I say, we have a combined communication center. And why that's important is because if we are ready to send someone to an emergency, if somebody reports an emergency and it happens to be near our borders, um, there may be a neighboring agency whose resource is closer than we are. And that's all about time. And so we have a communication center that has the knowledge of the status of all of the resources for all those fire departments I mentioned, North Las Vegas, Clark County, and ours, where they are in real time. They have automatic vehicle locators on them. And so we can grab those folks and we can send one or several to an emergency. And they might be from all three of those jurisdictions. And that really just helps us provide better service. And if you can imagine, it, it takes probably eight or ten units to put out a house fire. And so depending upon where that is in our community, that can really draw a lot of resources out of a large area of the community. So if, it's, if, it, if it is near a border, we get the benefit of having resources from our neighboring agencies to provide some assistance. And then they also will help us backfill some of those stations so we can continue to provide service. Um, I might mention that, uh, oops, I'm sorry. This is where all the fire stations are in the valley. Ours are the red ones, the black ones are Clark County, and the blue ones are North Las Vegas. So you can see some of these are pretty close to borders. And so, again, that ability to, to dispatch them and knowing where they are in real time really provides for us to provide great service to our community. I wanted to talk a little bit about, though, things that we're trying to do to improve the services that we provide. Uh, this is kind of a projection of what we think might happen if we continue to provide services where we, you call and say there's an emergency, primarily a medical emergency. If you call and say there's a medical emergency, and our normal practice is to send a rescue out to that call, red lights and siren, evaluate the person, and then put them in the back and take them to the hospital. That doesn't always provide them with the service that they need. In some cases, they, people have chronic issues that don't really need to be seen at an emergency room. Sometimes they have behavioral issues. Sometimes they have social issues that they really need some other kind of agency or service. And so we've tried to develop programs that will allow for us to provide those in a different way. 
that's what we th- we had uh, 115,000 calls for service last year. So we're one of the busiest fire departments in the country. What we've started to do is develop partnerships with other agencies and other institutions throughout the valley to try to find better ways to serve our residents. We started a couple of years ago a partnership with UNLV, their School of Social Services, master's students, and those folks do internships with us every year. We usually get three or four or five. We started off with two. And how it works is those folks come in and they work in our office. And when our firefighters go out on an emergency or a medical call uh, and they determine that this person doesn't have an acute injury and, in fact, they may have some other issue that needs different services, they flag that, that address and they turn that over to the social worker students and those folks do follow-up with them and they find out what exactly is the, the issues that they have and they try to connect them with the right service so that they get the service they need, not going to an ER. And in some cases, we would see some people two or three times a day or maybe even 10 times a week. So what we're trying to do is provide them with the service that they really need. So we have that relationship with uh, UNLV. <clears throat> we now have in our dispatch center, we have a nurse that's on duty that um, if you call and you say, this is wrong with me, we, under certain circumstances, that person can be transferred directly to the nurse in our dispatch center. And the nurse can do an evaluation over the phone and make a determination whether or not you need us to be sending a rescue out to your house, or maybe there's some other way that we can provide you service. And in many cases, we have a relationship with Lyft. If they need to go somewhere and maybe their own doctor, uh, we'll send a Lyft unit out there. They'll pick them up. We'll pay for it. and, And they'll take them off to that, whatever that location may be. We are now in the process of training a couple of our paramedics, and we got a law changed a few years ago so that we would be able to respond on a scheduled basis to people's homes. We weren't able to do that before. Our plan is to send one paramedic out to meet with people at their homes and help them with their either their meds, uh, take, taking their meds or making sure that they're uh, – they're eating correctly or making sure that they're, uh, they've already received their meds, any other kinds of non-emergency kinds of things that we can do for them that will keep them out of the hospital and keep them out of the, the emergency room. I kind of wanted to, uh, in fact, I'll just ask you, this is a chart of, I believe this was in 2016. These are high 911 users. Some in, what this chart's telling you is that we had 34 people who we responded to over 20 times in a year. And so we just keep going to see them over and over and over again, and what ultimately ends up happening is we're not really serving them unless we can get them to the right agency. Um, We did respond to, uh, clearly we responded to the October 1 shooting. And uh, it's... In the time that I've been a firefighter, it's been a completely different uh, mindset for our organizations on how we could do, how we could provide that level of service. Uh, in the past, uh, we would, as a fire department, we would stand in, out in a staging area. We'd get dispatched to an incident of a shooting at wherever it might be, say a high school or something like that, a shopping mall. We'd wait outside uh, until the police were able to come in and clear that location. Sometimes that could take hours. And what we were finding as we did the research over the years is that 
these folks come in, do the shooting. They kind of go in one direction. Um, the, the wounds are penetrating, and the people who are injured are either seriously injured uh, or they're going to die quickly. And we don't have a couple of hours to wait for them to, uh, for us to come in and then provide services to them. So three years ago, uh, Metropolitan Police Department started to work with uh, all of the fire departments in the, in the valley, and we started to do training on how we could get in quicker, how we could get in quicker to some of these emergencies. And we've developed this uh, practice where we team up firefighters with police officers and we go in early. And we get in with the police officers under their protection and we go through while the shooter may still be shooting uh, to get to the folks that have been injured and try to get them out quickly so that they have a better chance of survival. So I brought along a little video uh, to show you of that. Um, but I want to make sure that you guys are comfortable seeing it and maybe you're not. And so I could show it after uh, the meeting is over or I could show it to you now. You guys tell me what you think. But it's of a training that we do and how we prepare for this kind of an emergency. So if you'd like to see it, would you like to see it? Okay. Quiet and still until two active shooters pierce the peaceful morning with a small arsenal of weapons taking out everyone in their path. All involved know this is just an exercise, but to the 200 participants, this is no game. Today at City Hall, we tested an active shooter hostile event scenario. This was a true test of our first responders' skills. Skills under extreme pressure. As the exercise continued, one shooter grabbed a badge needed to get to the seventh floor and the other perched on the second floor balcony overlooking the lobby where he is ready for police to respond. ended when officers caught him off guard from behind. Not until he goes down and is confirmed dead are the medical responders from Las Vegas, Clark County, Henderson, and North Las Vegas Fire Departments escorted in by officers to help the injured. A lot of people think that fire representatives just put out fires, but today we had them dressed out in ballistic protection gear. We had their law enforcement partners providing them cover so they can come in and treat victims. Um, those kinds of tests of our system in today's modern world are critical to ensuring our preparedness for the reality. The drama continued as the second active shooter managed to infiltrate the seventh floor using the badge she stole from security. Here, she is met by one of our veteran Las Vegas Deputy City Marshals from the City Department of Public Safety. Put the gun down! Do it now! She's held off until more officers arrive, killing her. 
preventing her from moving into offices where people are sheltering in place. This exercise brought together first responders from various agencies across southern Nevada. A tough lesson learned during the tragic events of 9-11 is that emergency workers from different organizations had difficulty communicating with each other. We had all these different agencies from the Valley's law enforcement agencies, the Valley's fire department agencies coming together, establishing that unified element, that unified command, and and we, we communicated together, which was important because we all have different radio channels and we were able to, to use our new radio system to look at what, how we can communicate together and, and respond together. And that seamless communication when it comes to dealing with an incident like this is so important. The documentation of this exercise will be extremely helpful to all the agencies so they can actions and response. I just but wanted to show you that um, and just to mention to you that um, the one October shooting was something that was responded to by all the Valley Fire Departments and all the police departments and it's this kind of training that provided for us to be able to actually get out into the uh, area where the people had been injured as well as to clear the Mandalay Bay with our folks uh, every one of the floors and so that's information that I just wanted to share with you. I also wanted to say thank you so much. I'll stay after uh, if there's any questions and thank you for inviting me. Just stay right here. So, as the chief mentioned, I completed the Citizens Fire Academy. If you have not heard of that or you're interested, that's where I heard him. You should definitely do it. You learn so much about the city's largest department is the fire, fire department. So, um, Chief, we would like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, where we will give a hot meal to a homeless vet in your name. So, thank you. And as I always say, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.